Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey, everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I'm Trevor Anderson, and we made a big mistake this weekend. Jason can tell you what it was. We watched The Last Action Hero, the 1993 big action mistake. film. And it was not a big mistake. I actually really enjoyed <laughs> no, it. Wasn't. That's the catch line, right, in the movie? Exactly, yeah. In the fake movie, yeah. I liked this movie. I, I, I didn't... I've always held a fondness for this flick, but rewatching it recently, I don't know if it's because I haven't seen it in widescreen in a long time. I had the pan and scan VHS growing up as a kid. I, I really liked it. I... I it grew on me, and it played much faster than I recall it. I, I recommend this movie being kind of lumbering and overly long. Hmm. I still thought it was slow. You still felt it was slow, but the, yeah, but there's a good reason for that uh, because the the movie within the movie has the the third act about halfway through this movie, and so it feels like you're going into a third act. But really, you're just halfway through the second act. <laughs> I understand totally what you're saying. You know what I mean? So that, so once it hit that moment and they were closing in on the bad guys in the fake movie, uh, I started feeling like, oh, my God, like we've got like almost about an hour left. Mm. Yeah. This is a movie about if you haven't seen it, I don't know where you've been because this is a 1993 flick. You've had 20 something years to catch up in 26 years to see this thing. Um most notably, this was supposed to be the movie of 1993, along with Jurassic Park. Of course, Jurassic Park was the picture of 93, and the last action hero was buried underneath it, and kind of has maintained a cult status, uh-huh. would you say, over the years? I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of affection for this movie out there. Yeah, of course, because a lot of people like uh, these type of action movies from this era. And this is also somewhat of a spoof of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie of this era, sure. right? Which was a, a savvy yeah, a spoof move of, for... spoof of action movies in general. It was kind of a savvy move for Schwarzenegger and the filmmakers and Sony to do a spoof, a, a movie within a movie. This is the flick where a kid goes into a Schwarzenegger film and then Schwarzenegger's character gets brought into reality where he runs into the real Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a lot more complicated than it sounds even. This is the kind of movie that gets bogged down um, by overcomplicated storytelling in a lot of uh, ways. I don't think that they needed all of that time in the real world in the end. I, I feel like when they get to reality, the scene you're talking about where the third act is when they have Leo well, the Fart. even in the beginning, right? It's too long, too. It, it takes a second to get the kid into the well, once he gets- world. Yeah, it takes, because the first act of this movie really takes place in the, fir- in the, in the real world, and then... Um, he gets into the movie world and it almost has to reestablish itself. So it feels like you're going through the first act again. You're now you're setting up this new world and we have to go through that. And then that movie of course has a middle at least, because that's kind of where he comes into the to film. Right. And, and then it definitely has a, a third act in there, uh, which stretches out into the second act of the actual movie. And when they come out of the real world and then we have another third act. Which it's does a weird make it movie. Feel and the movie actually, this movie begins with a third act of a different fake movie. <laughs> exactly. So Which it's is, all third acts. It's weird. It, it's supposed to be highlight, highlight, you know, the high points of all these movies. Right, of course. Uh, the, I think the only scene in here that I would cut, although it's a nice moment, 
now as an adult, but as a kid, I didn't like it, was when he hears Mozart for the first time or the classical music. Uh, the the Slater character, you know, and has the moment. I didn't with the mind mom. that because of the Mozart stuff before. Uh, let's talk about the production of this movie before we really break down the film. This was rushed into production to meet a June eighteenth release date, which was one week after the release of Jurassic Park. And Schwarzenegger at the time begged Sony to push the film back a month. They didn't want to do this. The hype mm-hmm. machine was already pushing this thing as the big ticket for 93. If you look at any of the trailers, they say this is the big ticket of 93, uh, the big E-Ride, and it got buried. It really did get buried. This was a forgotten film in a lot of ways. Uh, even Stallone's cliffhanger fared much better in terms of box office and critical reception and even uh, audience reception um, than this film. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting uh last action hero people kind of feel like this was kind of the end of arnold in a way i I mean to to be fair true lies would come out the next year um but this was kind of an early end to arnold in in some way was it not because after this you had like eraser which you know did pretty well but nobody liked you know batman and robin end of days the sixth day right collateral damage and that was you know terminator three we're done it's also the end of the 90s there, and Arnold didn't work from 90s. This was 93, though. That's what well, I yeah, find this... interesting about this. This is 93, and it's called Last Action Hero. And in some way, the 90s, going up to The Matrix at the end of the 90s, was kind of, in many ways, the death of the action hero. And Schwarzenegger himself would agree with you. He said as recently as 2016 in an interview, uh, he actually blames it on the presidency. He said that Bill Clinton was in office and this uh, highbrow movies had become in vogue and the action hero was quickly being reestablished. And he's somewhat right if you look at that summer because things like The Firm Mm -hmm. did very well. And then you have those kind of courtroom dramas. Um, Sure. But then again, you have... in Seattle, I believe, came out. Right. So the the leading man was changing from the, the hulking action hero to a more of an everyman, if you will, even mm-hmm. the Bruce Willis films uh, were doing very well that summer. So action films would obviously prevail. They would just take on a new shape and form. I always say the summer of 97 was when things got really wonky, when you had Stallone putting on weight to do Copland, and you had Nicolas Cage buffing up to do Con Air. And it was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on here, you know? Uh, but at the same time, Schwarzenegger would go through this and I think make his arguably one of his best movies, if not his best movie, True Lies. I mean, I love True Lies. Sure. I think it's such a thrill machine that, um, and I don't think you get that with without Last Action if, if Last Action Hero had come after, let me put let me start it over. If Last Action Hero had come a year earlier, in the summer of 92, I think it would have been a smash. That it came out in the shadow of what Stallone had done in Cliffhanger, what Jurassic Park was doing, and then the weekend after, you have Sleepless in Seattle, which was a huge hit. This thing just, it, it didn't know who to connect with. We were all, I didn't even see this in the theater, and I'm a huge Schwarzenegger fan. Did you catch this in the theater when you were a kid? Uh, no. I, mean, yeah, I, I saw, saw Jurassic home video. Park. Yeah, me, my, me as well, because that was the movie of the summer. I was, uh, what, 14 when this came out? So I was definitely, you know, more into the Jurassic Park, but I did see this, of course, and mm-hmm. liked it enough, but it's grown on me over the years. I well, I don't know. I mean, people have not. Uh, I don't think this is. I think this is a good movie, but I, I don't think this is a bad movie. But I don't think this is enough of anything to make a lasting impression on 
general audiences, and that's exactly what happened. I don't know if this comes out 92. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think it still makes it. I think that audiences were more accepting to this kind of thing, uh, especially with like how well Lethal Weapon was doing that summer and uh, some of the other big, big action films. I just think that, like, after a while, especially this because it was it making fun of itself, and the marketing was very mm-hmm. strange on this. Do you recall some of the early teaser trailers that showed? They, I think they're out there on YouTube. They're very mm-hmm. rare, but it was like an action scene, and then Schwarzenegger pulls up and says, "If you want to see more, you have to come back later," and slams the screen, and it, it's a big ticket, and it says Schwarzenegger <laughs> last. Do you, do you remember those at all? No. There was a series of those they did, um, like Sounds announcing this. Dumb. It, well, they were kind of clever, you know, when you're a kid. Of course, I wanted to see more, so I wanted to, to come back. But <laughs> what I did have, and this was uh-huh. a strange tie-in, because this movie has bizarre tie-ins that we need to talk about. This has a tie-in with Burger King, which is very strange because Schwarzenegger was on the President's, President's Council of Physical Fitness for many mm-hmm. years, and now he's hawking fucking Whoppers. But this movie <laughs> did have... A Burger King tie-in, which is very clear in a few shots of this movie. There's Burger King product placement for no reason. But in reality, when you got the Whopper, you got this cup. Do you recall the cup? The special cup? Okay, this cup had a a scene from the movie animated, and it had these little shutters on it. So when you spun the the outside of the cup on on the actual inside of the cup, it kind of created this little Mm -hmm. flickering movie of a little scene. You don't recall this? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I don't remember that. I had all four cups, and for some reason, I thought that if you if you collected enough of these fucking cups, you could probably watch the whole movie. <laughs> like they would animate every scene of every moment. But there'd could... be no sound. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be terrible. It's like a little zoetrope thing. I had these uh, these cups though. I wonder if anyone else out there remembers those damn things. And the NASA ad. I mean, let's talk about the NASA ad. Are you familiar with this? I don't think I don't remember the NASA ad. So there's a book called How They Built the Bomb, uh, or it's a section of a book for Hit and Run, a book about John Peters mm-hmm. and Peter Gruber and how they it's destroyed... about Sony, right? Yeah, how they destroyed Sony. This film yeah. uh, factors into that very heavily when things were getting out of control. And one of their infamous stunts, or the marketing team, uh, publicity stunts for this movie, was to put the logo of this film on a space shuttle. And NASA agreed to this for an exorbitant amount of money. And it was going to be the first product placement for a movie... In space. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. You do recall this? Yeah. Well, the shuttle launch was pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And by the time that damn thing got into orbit, the movie had already basically come and gone. So it totally backfired. <laughs> they also had a massive blow-up standee, uh, a big blown-up version of Arnold Schwarzenegger holding no, I do remember that. the gun mm-hmm. and the badge, which they, they allude to in this movie, in mm-hmm. Times Square. Uh, which was horrifying, and the thing looked terrible. It, it just, <laughs> they couldn't get their shit together as far as marketing this thing. And if you go back and you look at some of the early news articles from that summer, like in May, before this June release, all of the, like, Los Angeles Times and all these guys, they're all talking about how Last Action Hero and Jurassic Park were going to be the two biggest films of the summer because of the heat but- off of T2. Just as a question, uh, everyone keeps, you know, well, Everyone said this, obviously, in the past. Everyone believed this and stuff. But don't you think that a big problem with this movie is the the kid appeal of it? Because who is this movie for, right? Adults? Nah, not, not really. I mean, is it for kids? Not really. 
I thought it was always I don't know. a family film. And I say that so because it's got something That's for everybody. to make an action family film. That's why right? they never I mean, succeed. Who's necessarily going to be interested in that uh, completely? I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, now looking back at it, and, and as a kid, I suppose, uh, I was interested in it. So to be fair, there were people out there who would be. But in general audiences, you know, this might, this would be kind of a hard sell. Uh, I don't know. But having seen Shazam, we just talked about uh, that recently. This has a, a very kind of similar feel uh, to that for me anyways. For like a, an, an, an action movie that you can take the whole family to. I mean, obviously, The Wizard of Oz is the heavy influence, I feel, on this film. <laughs> um, and there's a bit of uh, you know, the references to E.T. and Hamlet and all these right, other flicks right. within the movie. But really, they're referencing more than anything Schwarzenegger movies, which as a kid mm-hmm. and even as an adult, being a huge Schwarzenegger fan, I know you're even more so. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, that, that's the kind of the, the bad guy's name's Benedict. Isn't that the name mm-hmm. of the guy? In Commando, I mean, there's so many little things I continue to pick up on. Uh, the girl in their video store working behind the counter, counter is Angie Everhart. That was Stallone's girlfriend at the time, who's referenced in that scene. Which, if right. you haven't seen the video store scene in this movie, which I think is the absolute high point of this. When he finds <laughs> the Terminator 2 standee with Stallone on it, isn't that always the most memorable uh-huh. point of this movie for you as a kid? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. It still is to this day. I mean, the minute they they uh, pull up to that place, it's like, oh, my God, yes. That I wish I could sequence. be there right now. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that, that blockbuster, when he walks in and says, where are the Schwarzenegger movies? And she says, foreign films are in the back. I He's know. like, I mean, there's, that whole thing is written so well that, that you wish the rest of the movie was. When they come out and the kid said, this is a movie because she's beautiful and she's beautiful. And he says, no, this isn't a movie. It's California. Those lines are very clever, and I wish the movie had used more of that. Of course, it had a long, troubled production history in the writing stages. It was originally written by Zach Penn and Adam Leaf, and their script mm-hmm. was redone by Shane Black and William Gold uh, Goldman. And in the end, it's too many chefs in the kitchen, right? Do you get the feeling of that, that it's too many hands at work and it's really no one's? No one has authority on this? No, I, I mean, I feel... I Well... As far as the credit stuff goes, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Shane Black rewrote a lot of it, to be fair, um, even though it is written in his voice to begin with. Uh, you know, he was, he's the, the guy they're making fun of in some way in this. But And the irony is he uh, becomes no, the guy that rewrites the script, right? Yeah, I didn't feel like there were too many cooks in the kitchen. I, I didn't, you know, I don't know a, a McTiernan movie worth its salt that has that doesn't have a troubled production. He must be an ass to work for because they all oh, do go through these be. things. You're right. I mean, now that I think about it, all of these films that he's made, either they've come together in the editing room or he just pushes everyone's buttons on set because they're never easy I guess. productions. I do, lo- I, I do love his direction, though. Uh, I mean, his movies have that classic action feel to them. Not over-directed, not under-directed. Um, but I, I don't know. Like He just kind of gets out of the way. Just you know enough. what he reminds me of? He has a hint of Peter Himes with the, yeah. with the lens flare and the high contrast in some scenes and soft lighting. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he has the fluidity in his action and his editing of Richard Donner. You know where things are. And I, he kind of yeah. mixes Himes and Donner's style to come up with this other otherworldly style in this movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think he's he's a um, a more grounded, you know, Tony Scott or um, Michael Bay, a far more grounded Michael Bay, but uh, doesn't quite go out to the edges that they would go to. 
you know, but but his it has that same kind roam. of appeal to it. No, it doesn't. He, not not like that. That's why he reminds me more mm-hmm. of the Peter Himes with the the static camera and a lot of lens flare and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the beginning when he goes to at night, when, you know, the, the, I forgot yeah, how I agree. dangerous he makes the streets of New York seem in reality in the beginning there when the kid gets mugged and all, all that seemed very heavy to me to include in a children's film in the That's first act. That's what I act. mean. It felt uh, there were moments that I, I was like, is this? Because obviously adults are making this movie, and not just adults, but people who make action movies, very adult action movies, are making this movie. So it, does, it doesn't really walk that family-friendly line, I think, all that well, um, especially towards the end. But um, I mean, even the beginning, uh, you know, the, uh, the guy's kid dies. Um, uh, yeah, it's a little rough. This, this kid's father is dead, you know, and so the, he kind of becomes like... The, the the father replacement for this kid and this kid becomes the kid replacement for Jack Slater. You know, it's just weird. It's like, God, what a dark movie. Uh, the best scenes in these movies, uh, including that, that blockbuster scene, is that portion where he says, okay, prove to me I'm in a movie. That's fun. When they mm-hmm. go to the drug dealer's house, we're here to, you know, take home drug dealers. What I love, um, I mean, I love the idea that th- there's a world within this movie that doesn't actually perhaps get played out on the screen in the, in the actual movie, you know, like the, the cartoon cat, for instance, there's no way you'd see the cartoon cat in one of these movies, what? but he's there because they're Why in a the movie fuck world. Is he there? The, Cause they're in the, a movie world and there's shit that's happening off the screen and it's not a real universe. It's whatever that universe exists at. The shit can be happening. You know, I, I don't know. I love that. I just, I really like that idea that there's other shit going on in this universe. So like, Behind the scenes or, you know, there even uh, scenes that don't happen on the screen in movies actually happen in the movie world like that. The, just the idea that there's more to it than just what's been written and, and like it's uh, thrown up on the screen. Before we end this, I, I we have to talk some, you know, the I don't know what you would say, metaphysical you know, ideas of, of, of what this means, this movie going into a movie. Cause I have questions. Well, so do I, so do I, let's, <laughs> let's get into it right now because I've always questioned this when he's eating the popcorn before he goes into the movie, uh-huh. all of a sudden he's got some bruising on his hand. Did you ever hmm. notice that he's eating the popcorn no. and all of a sudden he's got some kind of scrapes and scratches on his hands? I've never could say I, I always thought, is that because he's beginning to go into the movie and he's becoming part of the it's just battle well, damage just or get, is that from getting get, jumped? Yeah, I'm just going to say I, I thought that I mean, he was a little roughed up. I thought I yeah, don't know. I, 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 I didn't put really know together. That. I mean, my my question is more, is it just this print of the film that's different or did every version of this movie change? Ah, okay. You know so what is I mean? everybody Cause like that's watching this coming this? out of like, and even going in and out of different movies for different uh, characters and things. Um, is it just, I mean, does death just come out of that one print at the end of the movie or, or is he now removed from all? Yeah. Does, like what, what changes here? Cause even at the end of the movie, the projector starts up, there's no film in it, but then the movie's on the screen, right? Through magic, I imagine. So what is, what the hell is he going into? Yeah, like, is he wh- going wh- where's into... Where's the gate to the world? And what world is he going into? And what is he changing? You know what I mean? <laughs> but at the same time, I kind of like that they don't waste time over-explaining the whole thing to me. It's a Houdini's hmm. deal. I kind of like I'm, that he's just in the fucking movie and he's got to roll yeah. with it. 
it's stupid. There's no explanation they're going to be able to give you that's going to make you happy. I, I get it. I'm just, it's just something that you wonder, you know, a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I just, I did. I wondered. I, I've always wondered, <laughs> like I said, about that hand. And if, if he was supposed to be getting messed up a little bit because he's watching the movie and he's getting into it. And as it goes along, he's becoming pulled into mm-hmm. it until he's in the backseat of that car. Um, let's talk about the cameos for a quick second here because there are some bizarre cameos in this movie. Why is Tina Turner in this for 10 seconds in the beginning? Um, Sharon uh, Stone reported know. to duty one day for a quick walk I mean, by. I guess because of Schwarzenegger, right? It's the only but thing I can think of. Once again, to, to prove your point, who's this being sold to? Kids aren't going to get that yeah, reference of Sharon Stone <laughs> yeah. in that movie. Um, yeah. there, of course, the, the Danny DeVito has to be a reference to twins, right, with the animated cat. Although I think that's a bizarre moment with the digitized Humphrey Bogart and that whole thing. Um, also, mm-hmm. what the hell is Chevy Chase and Van Damme doing at the very end? <laughs> that always takes me out of this movie when I see both. First of all, it's Van Damme at his most coked out finest. Is it not? <laughs> I mean, is he not just on the shit at that point? Yeah. Um, it's like they got everybody who was making a film for Sony at that point to come in. They're like, oh, Damon Wayans, he's making Blank Man. Chevy Chase, what are you making? Oh, you're making Cops and Robertson. Van Damme's making Nowhere to Run. Fuck that. You're all in Last Action Hero. Why? <laughs> so they could sell that in the foreign markets on the, the trailer? I have no idea why those were in there. Also, did you know that Alan Rickman know. was... Uh, Just because. Rickman was originally supposed to be the character or play the character that Charles Dance played in the end. Hmm. And uh, and he turned it down because he wanted more money. So Charles Dance then would wear a shirt to set that says, I'm cheaper than Alec Rick- Alan Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a well, nice British he actor is, thing really. to do. He's, apparently so. Um, did you ever have the soundtrack for this? Um, no. I had the soundtrack on tape back in the day. And it mm-hmm. came with that great ACDC single, Big Gun. I'm sure you're familiar with that song. I need yeah. to play it in this movie like three times. ACDC is great. It was a soundtrack that was full of the best hair metal bands of the era, like Poison uh-huh. and uh, what was the two fucking, was it Nelson? Was it the two twins with the long blonde hair that sang all the sad sappy shit in the 90s? Yeah. Was it was that a band, Nelson? Well, um, it wasn't the Nelson Twins. Was it the Nelson Twins or is it just Let's Nelson? I'm not sure. Well, it might be just be Nelson, but I always call them Nelson Twins. I forgot they were even <laughs> a band. They were just used to like be on MTV, like moping around and shit. And so it's like, just called yeah. They're just called Nelson. There you go. I, but I, I always call them Nelson Twins. Well, I'm glad we got after <laughs> so, two decades we got that situated. So yeah, you know, <laughs> whatever. I never really liked them anyway, so it doesn't no, matter. No, no one did. That's the whole yeah, point. It's fine. They, they found their way out of this soundtrack, uh, but in buying this soundtrack, really? I was what always. Song? What? I believe they had a. I'm gonna have to look up the the playlist here. Uh, It's on Spotify. I listened to it a little bit uh, on preparation for this show, but I remember thinking that I wanted Uh, the Cayman score, and I couldn't here. They're not on there. No, who's on there? It's Poison. You got ACDC, Alice in Chains, Megadeth, uh, Queensrÿche, Def Leppard, Anthrax, Aerosmith, Cypress Hill, Fishbone, Tesla, Buckethead. You think that. Out of all of them, Buckethead was the most excited to be on that album. <laughs> I don't know that anyone was excited to be on this album. They probably didn't even know. <laughs> I don't think. I I bet you. I I bet you more people listen to this podcast in a month 
than listen to any Buckethead song on Spotify in a month. <laughs> I guarantee it, in fact. It's 2019. Jesus. Buckethead's getting no play. Well, I don't know what soundtrack I'm thinking Bu- of with by Nelson. By the way, the Buckethead's not... Uh, <laughs> it's not just a clever name. What do you mean? It's someone's last name? Dude, dude wore a fucking bucket on his head. That was the gimmick? <laughs> yeah. That was the gimmick, man? Yeah. He should have wore a fucking saran wrap around his head. Would have... <laughs> Then it's all but better. <laughs> but I was bummed that this soundtrack did not have more of the Michael Kamen score on it. When I was a kid, it was very hard to find these scores uh, pre-YouTube, obviously. And a lot of these soundtracks were point. just... and But they would have like a track, you know. And, I, and this one even has like a, tra- a little suite of maybe five or six minutes of kind of the melodies and all the themes of the characters huh. uh, edited mm-hmm. into one. And it just would, would, I would just love that so much. And it, although, mm-hmm. to be fair, the Cayman stuff here sounds a lot like all of Cayman stuff, which sounds like Die Hard, which sounds like Lethal Weapon, um, but still a, a good soundtrack in its day. And I want to say that the ACDC uh, single, Big Gun there, had Schwarzenegger in the video, much like Guns N' Roses did a couple years before in their single for T2. Schwarzenegger was always kind of popping up. The soundtrack went platinum. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Can you imagine a soundtrack going platinum nowadays? In August. In August. So uh, when this was come out? June. Yeah. Holy shit. That they so, you <laughs> That's know ridiculous. Yeah, and you know who's got that platinum album on their wall? Buckethead. Because <laughs> they were on a platinum album, the only fucking platinum they ever saw. Oh my god. I don't know why I'm so mad at Buckethead tonight. Yeah, why are you so pissed off at them? Because he fucking his gimmick was wearing a bucket on his head. It's like it's like he, they Jeez. wouldn't allow that in wrestling. Why would they allow that in rock starism? I don't know. Uh, let's talk toys. There were toys galore for this film. In fact, some of the best tie-in for toys I, I don't believe a single came toy. in from this toy. Oh man, these toys really? were badass. First I of don't all, remember a single toy. The mold for this, I had two of them. I had the Jack Reacher, uh-huh. or Jack Reacher, good God. Um, I had the Jack Slater one. If I had the Jack right. Reacher one, we'd be in trouble. That was like three years ago. <laughs> yeah. I, the Jack Slater doll, which was the Arnold character within the movie, obviously, which goes it's for about It's an four- action figure, not a doll. It's, <laughs> 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 He's quoting movies to me. I love it. <laughs> please don't touch him. Please don't touch him. Um, and this thing also had lines done by Arnold Schwarzenegger. But... Like the lines, lines of cocaine? <laughs> what do you like, mean? It said like it's yes. like it spoke. Oh. It said like like you're not like your Terminator, but like back off, Buster, or something. But like Try some stupid shit mistake. would say. <laughs> but I'm telling you, he must have had to record these lines under some sort of contract because uh-huh. I still have that fucking toy around here in the attic somewhere. I mean, and I don't me. think the voice thing works anymore. But it's it's read so badly. Did that it have it's read. The, here's a couple acres line though, because that's a oh fucking great. Is God. that not just the most awesome fucking opening line? <laughs> when he says, "What did the farmer say?" Here's a couple acres, and he kicks the guy in the balls. Oh, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great fucking line. Kicks a dude in the balls, and the guy goes flying. I love that. I'm telling you though, these toys were badass. I had the fucking squad car. I had the the Jack Slater doll and the Ripper doll. And I'm not afraid to say that. I was 14 hmm. and still buying action figures. Well, you, you keep calling them dolls, so I'm not sure what they exactly how you play with them. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never even played with them. I made them mate with like the Barbies, right? Tea, I feel like you had a Jack Slater tea party or something over there. Jack Slater needs to get one off real quick. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I had a mate with my Robin Hood action figures. Oh, God. <laughs> he made Marion was no longer a maiden. 
Uh, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, first of all, let's talk story about this movie because it's real confused. It's it's backwards in a lot of ways. Like you mentioned, the third act of the movie within a movie comes in about an hour in, and it's a great sequence with Louis mm-hmm. the fart and that that <laughs> whole, which is a whole cool thing. But like when he falls out of the window. Or I'm sorry, uh-huh. out of the elevator there, and they shoot up the mm-hmm. side of the building. That is badass action right there. Are oh, you kidding? When the helicopters flying yeah, and they start shooting the machine yes. guns and shit. Oh my That's god, a- I know. There's so much action in this that reminds me of why I used to just love action movies, which is why I'm so hyped for Rambo, uh, the new Rambo. Now, it's, watching this just make me hype to uh, for any any movie that just is like as eh, machine guns. And that's it. You, <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. Machine guns. We have some explosions and stuff. Perfect. Some practical effects. But as I watch this movie and those uh, those scenes kick ass in it, mm-hmm. particularly that sequence, it always is kind of bummed me out that the it's surrounded by this playful attitude. Because if this had just been a straight up action movie, like the tar pit inv- scenes right after yes, that, <laughs> you know, it's just it gets goo. It, it always like kind of gets goofy again. Um, and and when he, that's when the, the dad, that's the family friendly part, though, right? Do you like that he runs into that Slater runs into Arnold Schwarzenegger? Do you, do you like that that sequence? Um, well, at that part of the movie, that's I mean, it's, we're getting a little long in the tooth at that part of the movie, um, just in general. Uh, um, but I don't have a problem with it. I just always thought they could have done more with it, and the fact that Slater. Resented Schwarzenegger because mm. he caused him a lot of pain. Well, it's okay. He didn't cause him the pain. The writers caused him the pain. It's he okay. He brought him to man. life. You know, it's what only I mean? seven years after that, and you got the sixth day, and they did plenty with that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they were already playing around with that here in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Hell, the next, you're talking about. Uh, but you do. I, I mean, I did love the Maria Shriver stuff where she's like, "Don't talk about you know the the restaurants yes. and shit." And he tries to start going in on Planet Hollywood and stuff, which is what he used to do all the time. <laughs> yeah. If you ever go back and watch those those interviews with him, he's always pushing something and whatnot. I mean, he's a great salesman, um, which I just think that everybody went into this movie with the greatest of intentions, and nobody mm-hmm. really. Everyone thought somebody was going to take care of the details. And I feel like the details in this movie never got ironed out. There was apparently a disastrous test screening in May, and Sony mm-hmm. destroyed the screening cards and put out the movie almost wet. I mean, uh, which was basically uh, only the final cut was done a few weeks before. It had nine months from the time of filming to the time it hit theaters, which for a film with this kind of scale and stunts and special effects and um, delicacy of tone. It's kind of amazing that it holds together as well as it does. It should be a lot worse in in many respects. Yeah, it it does. But it does have the roller coaster effect uh, seemingly under control, doesn't it? Even though it's a little, as I already said, it's a little long with doing that. But it does start out strong as in the fake movie, right? You get the third act, a very dark kind of a movie. Then we go into the real world gonna deal with this kid stuff and it's more real stuff and then they, they do the harry houdini thing you get introduced to uh you know whatever his face is uh with the, with the ticket and stuff and it's all very childlike and then he finally goes into the movie and then we, we go through that whole thing and then things are very light and everything and then stuff gets dark again more towards the end so it does kind of do that roller coaster i think fairly decently there's there's enough going on that to distract you at least it's almost like a magician's trick in a lot of ways. A little bit, uh, yeah. Because you do kind of forget 
um, about the whole ticket, or at least I do, about the ticket thing until much later, until they reintroduce that towards the end of the film, right? Yeah, I always stop thinking about that because the kid is doing it. And to say about the kid mm-hmm. actor, you know, I talked about the Problem Child movie recently, and I said uh-huh. that that's the most obnoxious child actor if there ever was one. I can't stand <laughs> that little fucker. But Austin O'Brien, who looks like he should be a really obnoxious little child actor, is really quite charming and compelling in this movie and other movies I've seen him in, Prehistoric yes. and My Girl 2. And, you know, yeah, I uh, really like him as, a, as an as an every... You can't call him every, uh, every kid, right? He's not every man, but he does have that kind of a, that likable appeal to him. He's not trying too hard in any of these <laughs> scenes. He's not trying to be He's cool. innocent enough, but he feels like he has uh, some sort of of knowledge, I guess, you know. There's a great moment in this when they meet Schwarzenegger's daughter within the movie and she's just kissed mm-hmm. him and the bad guys have broken uh-huh. in and they in or I'm sorry, he's saying to her something about uh where's Jack or this and that and he says it's her first movie and he kind of smiles, you know, cuz he's like happy for her that this actress is getting this big break in this movie, but now she's a real pro- Do you recall that scene? When yeah. he's saying, who's this? He goes, oh, mm-hmm. I've never seen this before. Well, it was her first movie. He just, right. the kid's line delivery <laughs> is great in that sequence. The part I hate in this movie, absolutely fucking hate, is when he tries to get him to say the F word, and then the the eye clicks, and the house explodes, and the following sequence, there, it's like a cartoon, their hair's blown out, the back yeah. windows of the that's chief's not, office are blown, and he's screaming at him. It's so And that's re- too much, right? Because that would never be in an action movie. But it is in a Looney Tunes cartoon, which the kid's watching earlier in the film. Yeah. And I always wondered, like, oh, are they trying to do a comic book movie or, like, a cartoon as well? Because there's obviously there's scenes where the guy gets uh, the killed problem. by an ice cream cone. That's very comical and right, cartoonish. right. Yeah, so I guess I don't know what if the movie just can't find its tone necessarily, or there's no way because you can't fall back on oh well, uh, you know maybe this is some kind of Christopher Nolan thing and he's really dreaming about this, but he's not because they come back into the real world, they do all this right. other shit, and everybody else sees Jack Slater, so you know that this all happens as far as this movie's concerned, right? This is all real, but there's no way in hell. That that shit would happen in an actual action movie. I don't know of any action movie that would happen. And it's not Hot Shots. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. I do miss action films like this that had the sense of, it's I don't want to say a fullness, but like a, an, it has a, a mm-hmm. texture to it that the CGI heavy flicks, I know we're always railing against these things and pissing and moaning about CGI heavy films. That's what everything is. But there is a certain weight of things in this movie, in the practical stunts, oh, and yeah. just the the way that magic, a gunshot right? sounds. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, the, movie the magic. Minute, the minute they introduce us to the, or introduce, uh, for what I felt, for when they, they introduced the movie ticket stuff, that whole entire scene was like magic to me. Like that, oh, this is like the magic of the movies, and that's how it used to be. It used to be as simple as that. Like, here's a magic ticket. Here's a little bit of story behind this. And here's the ticket. Now go use your imagination. Yeah, go on this journey. And it is the true hero's journey with the kid. I mean, he does change for the better by the end of the film. And he is the main character of the movie, regardless of Schwarzenegger's names above the, the title. 
I love the one sheet, the poster of this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of them out there. There's one that has Schwarzenegger holding the golden ticket over half of his face, which is very classy and kind of cool. But the the classic one of the drawing, I think it's Drew Struzan did this, where Schwarzenegger is coming off of the screen. That's just a great mm-hmm. image, is it not? It's, it's one of the best yeah. hand-drawn posters of the 1990s, I think. <laughs> Maybe the last yeah. one he ever was, right? I don't think he was in another one that was hand-drawn like that. In fact, I don't think he was oh, ever I would in a poster doubt it because they're uh... before that that was hand drawn. I think all of his posters, even going back, maybe Conan the Barbarian was the last one that was drawn. Everything else mm-hmm. was somewhat photoshopped or yeah, they were all uh, yeah actual he's photos. Such, he's such a character himself, you know. They talk about Dwayne Johnson today being the biggest star in the world, and that's arguable in a lot of ways. But he is literally the biggest star right now, uh, physically, and. I, as much as I like The Rock, he still, to me, doesn't have the charisma that Schwarzenegger had. The ease on screen of saying one of these lines and just... I don't. I, I think Schwarzenegger's a much better actor than we ever gave him credit for. I think he's more interesting. He has a Clint Eastwood appeal to he him, just is, right? Yeah. yeah, a little bit of that. Um, but he just has that... Uh, I don't know, maybe it's because he's so foreign... Uh, and his accent is so bad, you know, that you feel like there's a little child inside him running him, you know? <laughs> he feels in some way, but he's to but me. He, but yeah, um, yeah. With the body and, and, and the, the same accent. time you feel safe, you know, when he when he comes in, like he's going to set things right in some way. Like he's a, he's a real uh, action hero in many sense. I don't know. It, it's the same with a lot of the guys from around that era. You know, I feel the same way about Van Damme. I feel the same way about Stallone. Um, even Seagal, um, yeah. and it's different. I, I get what you're saying. It's very different when it comes to when when you come out and you're looking at uh, The Rock. You know, it just feels differently. And there was a time when I thought, uh, you know, in The Rock's career early on, when we had uh, the rundown, the rundown, yep, and uh, and walking uh, tall, yeah, the walking tall and stuff, where I thought, oh, you know. He's literally going to step in to Arnold's shoes here, but no one seems to like those movies anymore. And a movie that reminds you of this that, uh, uh, you know, went by the wayside there is The Marine. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff um, that's come out, even that Schwarzenegger and Sloan have done. They just haven't made it. And in going back and watching this, I'm, I'm realizing, um, uh, I, you know, audiences today are missing out. <laughs> I think they're I'm just going to say they're missing out, you know, because they, they should have gone and seen those movies. And um, this shit's good. This is good stuff. You know, I think people well, are and nowadays out. and now I can't get to... this anymore, you know, unless I unless you watch, you know, straight to video or streaming nowadays, whatever. But that's, you know, going away, too. Unfortunately, it's all high concept. We seem to get our action movies and our comedies and everything basically all in one Marvel movie now. We don't really have separate genres yeah. for that shit. So I think that it's going to have to be that we haven't nurtured any action heroes in the ones we do have right now. Um, I mean, Hobbs and Shaw is an anomaly. Let's be honest. They're not. They're they're continuing a franchise, but it's two guys. And there's a lot of macho posturing in that movie, which is kind of out of vogue at the moment, too. So I'm curious that that movie has found the level of success it's had, but it's neutered compared to something that in the it's, 80s would have come out or 90s. Oh, for sure. I mean, when, when I think about, um, well, the, you know, Chips, right? Oh, Jesus, Was a movie yeah. that felt uh, very 
kind of old school and it was a very good movie, but, um, you know, got ripped apart because of that. So yeah, I agree. If, if there's a movie that, uh, has any shot or is any kind of, you know, winds up on anyone's radar, that's like this, it's going to get, uh, shot up, you know, and, uh, or otherwise, uh, it just won't show up on anyone's radar. No one will see it. Right. It'll be on Netflix or Amazon and yeah. no one will, with very little fanfare. It's unfortunate. I don't know. I, there's not a lot of directors that I am really super excited about nowadays either that I could say, uh, like John McTiernan. I really liked as a drive predator is one of my favorite movies. Cause he had a um, style that was recognizable. So you knew. Yeah. A 16 blocks, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I love oh, that no, that's, stuff. Uh, that's Donner. But you're, that's I mean, you're Donner. talking about Thomas Crown Affair. You're talking about... <laughs> you get where I'm going, um, though. Yeah, I got you. Which which proves my, my Donner-McTiernan connection from earlier. Yes, Thank sure, you for rounding course. that off. So are you stoked <laughs> that we went back and watched this? Because I recommended this yeah, to you really over the weekend. Yeah, I'm really happy having seen this. I really enjoyed it. Um, I would recommend it to everyone. And, uh, you know, and I would also say, for anyone who's seen Shazam, since we did recently talk about that, say that's good for good for, for your kids and, and for a good family, uh, kind of an action movie, uh, you know, let, watch last action hero as well. If you like that, cause this is a uh, right up the same alley there. Yeah, I agree. This is available on crackle, which is where I watched it recently just cause it's an HD mm-hmm. and full, um, you know, widescreen and whatnot. Did you watch this on DVD or anything? Or on crackle. On? Yeah. Okay. So you watched the same print I saw. So it looks great. It's cleaned up. Um, the framing is proper. Like I said, I had the pan and scan, VHS on this, which was just awful, awful, <laughs> particularly when Danny walks into the police station and everybody's walking by him and there's artificial pan and scans. Um, but if you're out there looking for a, a good family movie and you haven't seen this for a while, I would definitely recommend checking this out. It's going to be on Crackle till the end of the month, which is obviously a Sony owned property. And um, I'm, I'm just stoked that we saw this because I haven't seen this in years and I own the movie novelization of this. And I cracked that open the other day. And I read a couple sentences and how's I thought, it, uh, how's it, how's shit, it, yeah. has it written? It's written terribly, but Robert Tyne, it's, it's a terrible <laughs> it doesn't, novelization. Does <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple extra scenes in it, if I do recall from reading it back in the day. Uh-huh. But I mean, just the novelization, this is the idea of owning a movie novelization was because we couldn't see mm-hmm. this fucking thing five times in a summer, but you could, you could read the book. So uh, my mom, you know, we, she took me to see Jurassic Park, or I think a guy did something mm-hmm. good, so she bought me the novelization of this because she wasn't going to take me to the theater to see it. So I had to make up the movie in my head as I'm reading the book. But well, they still have novelizations. So I know I for love new it. movies. I just got I love Chronicles it. of Riddick not too long ago. Kick fucking ass, you which did. is ridiculous. Why is oh, there a novelization of that? <laughs> because it needs to be novelized, sir. Why? It's a gem. But, uh, okay. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our retro today. Thanks for joining us. We definitely had fun going back and taking a look at the last yes, action hero. And Danny Madigan reminds you of school, does it not? Of who? Of school. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> we, we, went to, we went to film school with a guy named Daniel Madigan. And uh, I forgot about that until I was watching this movie. And I thought, holy shit, Danny Madigan. So if you're out there, Madigan... What's going on? Hit us up. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> That's going to do it for the Movie Mavericks podcast. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage! Engage!